And Psalm 16 is on page 491 of the Black Bibles. Psalm 16 from verse 1. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you're my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my conscience instructs me. I keep the Lord in mind always, because he is at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Tonight's Gospel reading is John chapter 17, found on page 996 in the Church Bibles. John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you, because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. 
I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Stephen. It'd be great if you can uh, keep that passage open. My name's Dan. If I haven't met you before, thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to this part of God's word. Uh, God, what a majestic part of your word, uh, that what a privilege of uh, having the chance to hear your son uh, pray to you, uh, to hear what's on his heart, what's on his mind. Uh, Father, we pray that as we uh, come to grips with this part of your word, you'd help us. Uh, Father, please change us, that we would more and more have on our hearts and on our minds what was on his heart and mind. Pray that you'd help us uh, to listen well now. Please help me to speak clearly for your glory's sake. Amen. If Jesus was going to pray one thing for you, what do you think it would be? Or maybe it's slightly differently. If Jesus was going to pray one thing for you, what would you want him to pray for you? What's that thing like at the moment, that kind of desire or the need that's, that's on your heart, in your mind? What would you want him to pray for you? Because the Father's going to hear it, right? He's going to answer that prayer. A new job or something? No place to live, is it you know, a spouse, the need to be loved or to, to be successful in something, I don't know, health, sleep. I don't want to belittle any of these sort of uh, desires, these are, these are good things, I certainly am wanting sleep right now, um, I'll try to stay awake, stay awake for the next little while. But what does Jesus actually pray? Right here in John 17, he, he prays for us, what does he pray? 
So he's, um, he's been, uh, you know, he's about to leave his disciples. He's been talking with them for about four chapters, getting them ready for when he's going to go. And he closes this whole time with, as a Christian always does, with, with a prayer. And what does he pray? Well, it's complicated, isn't it, this, this prayer? It's glorious, majestic, but kind of complicated. And we're not going to kind of uh, get to the depths of it today. We're going to have to just skim the surface. But this is how I'd put it. This is what I think his prayer is for us, that we would have eternal life, that we would live out eternal life, that we'd never lose eternal life, all for the sake of his glory. I want to make two points tonight about eternal life. The first is eternal life is knowing Father and Son, And the second is that eternal life is Jesus' desire for us. The first point kind of answers that question, what is eternal life? Now, if you went outside onto um, Broughton Street here and you stopped 10 people at random and you asked them, what is eternal life? What do you think they'd say to you? Apart from, get away from me, weirdo. Um, Most of them would say something along the lines of living with God forever after you die, right? Something like that. What does Jesus say? Verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with a really, really, really long time. Uh, It's not defined by time at all, is it? It's defined by a relationship. It's about knowing God the Father and, and the Son. It's about a beautiful relationship, a close relationship. Verse 23 says, I am in them, and you are in me. This is a very close relationship, closer than a husband or wife, closer than your bestie. It's close. Perhaps perhaps like being a child of God. In fact, that's kind of one of the sub-themes that's going on in John, that we become children of God. So way back in chapter 1, verse 12 Uh, The writer said that those who trust in Jesus are given authority to become children of God. And right here again in verse 2, Jesus is given that authority. What he has as a son of God, he gives to us. So that we can have the relationship with the Father that he has with the Father. It's a great privilege. We get what he's got with the Father. Those of you who know me would know that I have uh, no idea about celebrities, um, but this week I've been finding out a bit about Brad and Angelina. Um, I understand that I can call them Brangelina. Has anyone heard? Is, are people familiar with that term? They are. There's nods around. I've, I've never heard of it before. My wife and Olivia and I are going to be Delivia. So if you can try using that when you see us, that would be good. I don't think it's going to catch on. Um, Brangelina have three children by birth. They've also got three kids by adoption, right? They've got uh, one Maddox, who was born Rathvibol. They've got one Zahara, who was born Yemsrak, and one Pax, who was born Pham Quang Sang. Now, when Rathvibol and Yemsrak and Pham Quang Sang were born, they had no relationship at all with Brangelina, right? Nothing. They were a nobody. And yet as soon as they get adopted, they stand in the same relationship that their natural kids of Brangelina have. 
a relationship of real privilege, let's be honest. How much more us, the unnatural children of the Creator God, who are adopted in to be His children, at that moment we have the same kind of relationship that the natural Son has, Jesus, the Son of God. What a privilege. I want to spend the next little while just kind of unpacking what Jesus' relationship with the Father is like, and therefore, what's the relationship that we get to partake in, the relationship we share in? Uh, This prayer we have right here actually is a great insight into their relationship as we hear the Father talking to uh, the Son talking to the Father. Um, A a great insight. It's kind of a window into the inner working of the you know, the community of the Trinity. Beautiful. The four aspects I want to pick up as we look at this are um, that this relationship is a knowing relationship. They know each other. It's a loving relationship. It's a glorious relationship. And it's a united relationship. Firstly, it's a knowing relationship. Please look with me at verse 25. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. That's us, friends. Apart from Jesus, we haven't known the Father. We don't really know him. We don't really get him. We're not in a relationship with him. But the world has not known you. However, I have known you. The Son knows him. And these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known. The son has a natural relationship with the father. He actually knows him personally, the truth about God, who he is. And then he says, I made your name known to them. Verse 8 tells us that that God the father gave the son words of, of truth about who he is. And then the son gave those words to his followers. And the followers received them. Trusted that this, this was the truth about God. And trusted that as they knew Jesus, the son, they actually were knowing, truly, God himself. The one that the world hadn't known. They were, had the opportunity through Jesus to share in this relationship of, of knowledge, of truth. I know that when we hear this idea of knowing God, we often think, yeah, 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 knowing, it's all about a relationship. True. But doesn't a relationship have to be based on truth? I was reminded of this last week. I was talking to a, a girl after church, and she said, oh, I, I know God, I really know God well, but I'm not so keen on Jesus anymore. I'm kind of going off Jesus, but I know God. And I just I had to ask her what... How do you know him? When you're in a relationship with someone, you have to kind of know certain things about who they are. How do you know? And there's this kind of awkward silence. I guess you're saying I need to believe in Jesus. Well, yeah, of course. I'm a minister. (laughs) Because, friends, we don't know the truth about God except through the Son. And when we know the Son... We know his father. We come into that relationship. It's a great privilege. 
The second aspect of this relationship that we get to share in is that the Father and the Son are one, united. Please read with me verse 21. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. The Father and Son have been entirely united throughout all of eternity. They love the same things. They do the same things. When the Father commands the Son to do something, he does it. Verse 4, he does the work. They share the same concerns. They Share everything, actually. Verse 10, whatever is yours is mine. They share it all. Friends, they want to share it with us. Through Jesus, we become united to the Father as well. To love what they love. To do what they command. To have the same concerns. My wife and I do a fair bit of um, marriage preparation with couples who are going to get married. We talk about, you know, this idea of one flesh being united in marriage. Um, And the way you sort of have to reconfigure your whole everything around this other person. This is just a small picture of what it means to be united to the Father. Your whole life reconfigured because there's another, always, united to him. Well, the unity we have with the Father is a loving unity. Because, third point, um, it's a loving relationship. So look with me at verse 24. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. That's crazy, isn't it? Before there's anything else, nothing around, God the Father, God the Son, love. Now the Son is the object of the Father's torrents of affection. And then, verse 23, may they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. You see that? We get, we get to share in the love that the Father has for the Son. We get to share in that. Or in verse 26, you have lo- uh, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Through Jesus, we get wrapped up into the, into the love that the Father and the Son share. It's incredible. Our church mission statement has this line, loving like Jesus. Great. But before that, we have to realize that we have been loved like Jesus. Spurgeon, I was reading this just uh, last night with my wife. Um, Spurgeon says these words, Where shall language be found which shall describe his matchless, unparalleled love? It is so vast and boundless that as the swallow but skimmeth the water and diveth not into its depths, so all descriptive words but touch the surface while depths immeasurable lie beneath. Well might the poet say, O love, thou fathomless abyss. For this love of Christ is indeed measureless and fathomless. None can attain unto it. But we share in it. 
what a privilege. The fourth part of this beautiful relationship that I, wanted, I want us just to enjoy together um, is that it's a glorious relationship. See verse 24 again. Halfway down. Then they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's not like the Father, you know, the, the, the love and the glory. How do they fit together? It's not that the Father goes, well, I love you, son. I suppose I should kind of throw some glory your way. You know, I'll just chuck you a bit of glory. i got some spare. No, it's the glorious Father loves the Son and draws him close to himself. And when you are near the glorious Father, you're glorious by association. So here's an entirely random example for you, the most random ever. <laughs> this is a piece of carpet, okay? Ordinary carpet, right? Nothing special. So I'm at my brother-in-law's place on Friday night, and he's a minister. And he, we were looking around his church. That's what ministers do. Not really. And he pointed out a pulpit, and he said, Angelina Jolie has been in that pulpit. It's like, what? I was going to mention her in my sermon this week. And he goes, well, take this carpet. She purchased it for a movie and walked on it herself. <laughs> I'll be selling that afterwards if anyone goes to the highest bidder. Would you look at verse 22 with me? Verse 22 and 23. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they be made completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. If a bunch of carpet can be just a little bit special because Angelina Jolie has walked on it, how much more are we special? Because the God who made the whole earth loves us personally loves us, is united himself to us, how much more special are we? Glorious, you could say. Because the relationship between the father and son is that's unfathomably beautiful. And yet the gospel is that you and I, through the son, by the spirit, who's been the context the last couple of chapters, through the spirit, we get to share in that relationship. What a privilege. We get to know the Father like the Son does, be loved like the Son is loved, glorified. We get to be united. It's such a privilege. The traditional metaphor for this, uh, for this kind of idea is called perichoresis. It's kind of like a dance. So the Father, Son, and Spirit have all through eternity been sort of, you know, the metaphor is like dancing with each other. Like always kind of, dependent on the other, kind of correlating themselves to the other, always moving around each other dynamically, a beautiful dance. The gospel is, eternal life is, we get to join the dance. So we walk through every day of our lives in the dance of God. That's, that's eternal life. And so I want to ask you tonight, friends, do you have eternal life? Are you loved by God? You know him. 
You're glorified, united to him. Really? How good is that? Straight up, how good is that? If your answer to that question is no, then please do something about it. You want eternal life. Talk to me about it. Talk to someone else. If you said yes to that question, then let me push it a bit further and ask you another question. Do you see yourself that way? Like when you get up in the morning, when you look at your to-do list for the day and get depressed, you know, when life's just not working out, do you think of yourself that way as someone who partakes in eternal life? I mean, I for one need to, need to let this sink down and change me, right? And remember, I am loved. Loved like Jesus. Remember that, it's kind of almost weird to say that I am glorious. Not because of anything I've done, no way. Not because I'm a special person, I've achieved anything, not a chance. But because I'm loved, brought near to God. Glorious by association, if you will. It's an amazing privilege, brothers and sisters. And that's why I want to say with, with Jesus, I want to say amen to his prayer, Father, Glorify your son. Amen. Well, I've been pretty descriptive so far in this, um, about this prayer, but it's actually a prayer, right? Jesus actually prays a couple of things. And as he, as he prays these things, we actually see our, our second point, that eternal life is Jesus' desire for us. I want to quickly go through the three things that Jesus prays for in this prayer. Um, And we're going to see, as we do that, how much this is his desire for us. Um, We sometimes treat eternal life like it's a bit of an add-on. You know, it's a good thing to have in the back pocket. Thanks very much, Jesus. I'll hold on to it, but then I'll get on with life. I want to show you how, how, for Jesus, it's so different to that. Um, For him, it's front and center. It's his big desire. And I hope as we, as we do that, we will um, be changed to have that same desire as well. So these three prayers. The first, quickly, is uh, for our protection. Would you look at verse 11 with me? Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Now, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your word that you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas. I was keeping them safe in eternal life, but now I'm going, and they're going to be in the world, which is a dangerous place. Brothers and sisters, I assume you know people who have lived in the world and been dragged away from eternal life. Nico, Mike, Miles, Daryl, I, I can list a good number. I'm sure you can too. It's dangerous. But verse 15, Jesus prays, um, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Do, do you hear Jesus' desire here, friends? His prayer? He really wants you to have eternal life and never Lose it. He wants you to be protected in eternal life. That's his big desire. And we catch a really similar kind of vibe with his second thing 
when he prays uh, for unity. Look with me at verse 21. I see this repeated request. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one. Do you get it? Get it? You get it? He's kind of quite repetitive, isn't he? I take, I take it that he means that he wants us to be united. <laughs> he wants us to be united in living out our eternal life. That together, we would be so shaped by who we are in Jesus as his children. We'd be so shaped by that together that we would we'd live out our eternal life. And the world would look on and say, their leader, Jesus... He is of God. If Jesus could pray one thing for you, friends, what would he pray? That you would have eternal life, that you would live out eternal life, and that you would never lose it. But thirdly, he prays something else which might make us think, this is a bit weird. In, chapter, in verse 1, he prays, Glorify your son. That's himself. And in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. A bit of a tension here, isn't there? Is he praying for us or is he praying for himself? Now, I ask the question if he could pray one thing, what would he pray? For us or him? I'd like him to pray the first one that I would have eternal life. The other one about glory for him sounds a bit selfish. You know, friends, the wonderful thing is you don't have to choose <laughs> because these things actually fit together. So look with me at verse 2 and see why he deserves glory. For you gave him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all you've given him. And verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. His glory comes as he gives us life. They live together. You see, when he prays for his own glory, the Father answers, yeah, I'll give you glory. It'll be on the cross and in your resurrection. Through those things, you'll be the savior of the world. Glorious. But do you see how they belong together? The Father has no glory. Uh, sorry, the Son has no glory if he doesn't save us. If he doesn't get people to join the dance of God, he doesn't get the glory. I find that strange, but wonderful. <laughs> that his commitment to his glory is at the same time a commitment to my eternal life. And so what would Jesus pray for you if he could pray one thing? Maybe he'd pray that he would be glorified for your sake. Well, I think that's kind of the prayer in a way. He prays that we would have eternal life for his glory. Have it, live it out, never lose it, all for his glory.
Friends, as I've been thinking about this this week, it's, it's really challenging, hey? Um, the way that this eternal life thing for Jesus is, is the big deal. It's front and center for him. Is it for me? Like if I could pray one thing for myself, like I asked at the beginning, if Jesus would pray one thing for you, what would you want him to pray for? Do you remember what you were thinking at the time? Doesn't that kind of pale into insignificance compared to what Jesus is praying about, compared to his concerns and desires? They're so big. His desires for us are bigger than our own desires for ourselves. It's a challenge to me about what I really desire, what I'm really concerned about, what I pray for. But more than challenge us, this passage should absolutely delight us. Rather than being challenged, I think we should probably kind of maybe just laugh. You know that kind of laugh you get when you put your hand in your pocket and pull out, oh, 50 bucks. I think, you know, the lighthearted laugh of someone who realizes that they're much more fortunate than they realized. I think that's the appropriate response here. Because isn't it marvelous that Jesus would have such a desire for you, such a good desire. He wants you to be his brother or sister, to have his kind of relationship with the Father, the unity. He wants you to know the Father's love, the glory, the knowledge, the way that he wants us to to walk each day of our lives in the dance of God. What, What a privilege. And isn't Isn't it a sublime comfort that God the Son, the maker of the world, would pray that for us? He's not just praying for his disciples. He prays for those who believe uh, believe in him through their message. That's us. What a comfort that he prays that for us. Because if he prays it, the Father will surely answer. And so in response to this, Incredible prayer. I think it's appropriate that we just respond in the way that Jesus begins and say, Father, glorify your son, Jesus.